we're talking about living a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And we call it the victorious life of thanksgiving because thanksgiving, being thankful, is what connects you. It connects you to your victory. It connects you to triumph. It increases your capacity to receive from the Lord. So many things we'll get into. Hallelujah. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Foundational scripture, we started with this last week. Actually, we, we ended 2020 with a little taste of this, but uh, I thought that was just going to be a one-night sermon that the Lord gave me, but now it's growing into quite a series. And it's, it's, um, it's a principle. You know, there, there's just... I had this teacher... So whenever I start to uh, prepare a series on something, you look for books and, and go ahead and try to find some books on Thanksgiving. There's just not any out there. But there was one that I have. I had this teacher at Rama. Jeanette typed all my notes at Rama. Jeanette, on an average day, Doc Horton, would you have to type very much in that class? No, I'd come home. I'm a note taker. You know, I think in outline form. I'm kind of a freak that way. And uh, some of these classes, she would have all these. She typed up, I don't even know how many. 3,000 pages of notes, yeah, and, and right from Rama. And, and, uh, and, but Doc Horton's class, it might have one sentence. And Doc Horton was, I mean, he was a little guy. He's, you know, I mean, he's probably like this tall, but he could probably speak to 50,000 people with no microphone. He was just, he had this voice that was amazing. But he wrote this book, Thanks, or Thank You for the Biscuits. It was just a little 33-page paperback book. And, but it reveals in this book, and this is Doc Horton, he was really close friends with Brother Hagen, and all he would do is tell stories. I mean, it was hilarious. But this guy, what a great minister, just enjoyed his classes at Ramah, even though at the time I was such an information principal guy, and you just didn't get that from him. I remember going to him for the first, end of the first time when, when we were going to take a test, and, and I'm like, okay, so Doc, what's going to be on the test? I mean, what do we, I, I don't have any notes. And he goes, well, you have the Holy Spirit, don't you? He'll bring it to your remembrance. I'm like, is that it? He goes, that's it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but anyway, he grew up in a, in a southern family, and he was one of several children, and a lot of his brothers, he had some big brothers, and he was the littlest guy in the family. And they would make these biscuits in the south, uh, they would make biscuits on special, special days, and uh, so you're sitting around the table, and they, these biscuits are there, and a lot of times, because he was the smallest, you know, his brothers would just kind of knock him out of the way and get whatever they wanted and all this other stuff. But there was a rule at his house, and this book talks about this. There was a rule at the house that if they're passing the biscuits, and all of a sudden, man, those biscuits start disappearing, and you're down at the other end of the table, he said the rule in the house was, all you'd have to do is pipe up and go, thank you for the biscuit. And if there was one left and the brother was going for the biscuit and Doc said, thank you for the biscuit, the brother would have to take his hand away and that plate would be passed all the way down to Doc and he would get the biscuit. So we're going to talk about that principle. You're like, what principle? You'll have to wait and see. So, so but th that book is, is wonderful, but it's 33 pages, a little tiny paperback book. That's all I got on Thanksgiving. Maybe I should write one, right? But we need to talk about this because Thanksgiving connects you to the victory. Thanksgiving puts unseen things in motion to bring the victory to you, right? So in other words, you see no way in the natural you're getting a biscuit, but when you have Thanksgiving in your mouth, it'll bring the biscuit, it automatically will bring the biscuit to you. This is a spiritual principle. It's a spirit, Thanksgiving is a spiritual force. And we, and we need to learn about this. So 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, it says now, or I'm sorry, it says, but thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This word gives is the Greek word that is pronounced didomai. It means give, but it also means who adds us the victory. Here's another meaning of this Greek word, who causes us to possess the victory. Now thanks be unto God who gives us the victory. How does it come like everything else comes? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse it, where it says gives, giveth in the King James, it deals with present tense. So now I'm thanking God for the victory that I see, but it also has in it mostly future tense because giveth, it's denoting that you're going to get something in the future. It's talking about something that God has already given you, but you can't see. It's not in your life yet. That's predominantly what this word giveth is talking about. So now thanks be unto God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you just go like a page more in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 14, it's another scripture that we have to be very aware of. It says, now thanks be unto God, what? which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest. In other words, and manifests something. In the King James, it says the savor, but that, that Greek word means the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. Again, that always causes us to triumph predominantly is talking about something that has not happened yet. So this is a huge thing. We are to give thanks for things in the present that we have received and for things in the future that God has told us he's already given us, but we just haven't seen them yet. Do you know faith never feels sorry for itself? It's impossible. Because faith is fully persuaded that I have what God says. I don't need to see it. I know I have it. Does that make sense? So in reality, we're talking about thanksgiving, but these principles, we're talking about faith. So it's, we're talking about thanking God for something before you see it. Right? You know, if, if let, let's say Buzz and Sharon, they, they came up to me and they said, Pastor we're going to give you, we'll just, we'll use it. We're going to give you a smoked turkey. They gave us a smoked turkey. Wow, was that thing awesome. But, but let's say they came up to me and said, Pastor, we're going to give you, or, or let's, let's get real, okay, for all the ladies here. Sharon comes up to me and says, Pastor, I'm going to make you some drop cookies, which hers are the best in the world. The hardest thing is I've got to get her to kind of like sneak them because there's a couple ladies in, in our house that, man, I'd never see them, right? But if, if Sharon or if Buzz and Sharon, if they said that to me because I know them, what would I do? What would be my first reaction? Thank you, Thank you. right? Because I know if they said it that I know that, that it's as good as done. But what if, I, what if I said, well, okay, that's great. You know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. How would that make them feel? They'd go home and go, man, we're sure. Man, I, I just, I'm sure not. I wish I hadn't have told pastor we we're going to give him a smoked turkey. Because, man, that guy's not even thankful. Right? This is what we're talking about. Thanksgiving should be the foundation of our lives as Christians. It's a huge, huge deal. This is speaking about present tense victories that you are experiencing 
and also future victories that you haven't seen yet. Right? What are we saying? And we've said this before. You and I have the ability to thank our way out of every defeat into victory. You can thank your way out of sickness into health. You could thank your way out of poverty and lack into abundance. That's, that's a spiritual principle. Why? Well, when we talk about faith, remember, it's impossible to receive anything from God apart from faith. It's impossible to even come to him apart from faith. We thank God before, right? So now, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest a fragrance, right, of his knowledge by us in every place. We said this last week, that spiritual things have a fragrance. They just do. Spiritual death has a fragrance. Now, you don't smell it with your nose, but man, you can sense it. It's very real. Strife has a fragrance. Anger, right? Unforgiveness. Fear, big-time fragrance. Zoe life has a big fragrance. And I could tell you this, when you walk in the presence of somebody who's experiencing fear, strife, any of those fragrances, the fragrance of God is much greater. And I'm telling you, you know, have you ever noticed you walk in your house sometime, you walk in and all of a sudden your wife's been cooking something or your daughter's been cooking something, right? And you're like, wow. It kind of builds a desire. See, that's the way it is with us as Christians. When you come in a person's presence, God wants you to smell like Zoe life, to smell like the love of God. Oh, the love of God has a beautiful fragrance. The mercy of God has an incredible fragrance, right? The freshness of the fragrance of spiritually, of, of godly things is amazing because they always smell brand new because everything in God is brand new. And, and this, is, this is very important that you know that. Faith has a fragrance. Victory has a fragrance. Triumph has a fragrance. So these two verses, as we said last time, they are connected. So you, you connect them. So in other words, being thankful is connected to victory and it's connected to triumph. They're all connected. We are to give thanks always before we see things in the natural realm. If you want to look at pride versus humility, one of the main characteristics of pride is it's not thankful. It feels like I deserve, right? I deserve this, right? So humility doesn't even think that way. Humility is just thankful. You know, my wife does so many things for me, and I'm so thankful for that. I don't feel like I deserve that. To be honest with you, I don't deserve a woman like her. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve to be able to stand before you today and do something that's passionate to be a pastor. It's not about deserving. God just loves me. And he's just given it to me and I'm so thankful all the time for it. If I ever started feeling like I deserve it, you know, like, hey, you people better be here on time and Man, you better just, don't you dare fall asleep. Or, oh my gosh, you know, a, a phone better not go off because I'm preaching. Run. There's, there's got to be another church out there that you can go to, right? Because that's just, that has nothing to do with God. 
That has a fragrance, though, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So we, Thanksgiving, we want to cultivate in our lives. If Thanksgiving connects you to your victory, to your healing, to everything that God has done, Thanksgiving connects you to everything that God has done for you by his grace. It connects you to it. And then it all comes to you through faith. But thanksgiving is the foundation. Thanksgiving increases your capacity to receive from God. We're going we're gonna to look at principles. We might not get there tonight. But here's a principle. The more thankful you are, the more things will grow in your life and increase. The less thankful you are, you're probably going to lose whatever you're not thankful for. Now, God doesn't take it away from you, but the enemy will. So, I mean, this, this is a huge thing. Thanksgiving increases your capacity to receive from God. Realize this. The limitation is not on God. If you're ever having trouble laying hold of something that he says he's given you, guess what? It's not on him. There's no limitation on him, right? God is no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he will do for all. The word says that over and over and over. But our capacity to receive from him will vary from person to person. Does it have to? No. God is, see, that has to do with the person's will. Am I going to choose to be thankful for what I have? And here is how the enemy trips us up. He gets us spending all of our time looking at what we don't have and what we don't like. And because what he's trying to do, see, Satan knows this. There is no place, there is no space between being thankful and unthankful. So the minute he can get you looking at what you don't have, what he does is he, in effect, moves you from being thankful to be unthankful. Don't even realize it. You're just like, I'm just living my life. Right? So this is a huge thing. Something, in other words, must happen in me to increase my capacity to receive from him. And this is why we put the word of God first place in our life. This is why we must know him, right? Because what happens as we come to know him, we are thankful for everything. One scripture even tells us, what do you have that you have not received? Is there anything that you have that you haven't received? Oh, no. I mean, that body you're sitting there in right now, guess what? doesn't belong to you, right? You receive that. Be thankful for it. So this is, this is a dimension of our walk with the Lord that must increase for us to be able to go up higher to know him more. Because I could tell you this, as, you're, as Thanksgiving increases in your life, it's like it turns on a light, and, and all of a sudden, you enter a new place now. It's wonderful. The limitation is on the person's ability to receive. It could be their faith, their vision, you know, or they simply just choose not to receive from God. And it could be because they don't feel like they're worthy. You know, there's all kinds of crazy things. Well, Lord, I just, don't, I just don't deserve that. And God's up there going, well, that has nothing to do with it. Right? Everything we've been given is only because of one person. And that person's not you or me. It's Jesus. Right? That's the gospel of Christ. We can only enjoy from God what we are able and willing to receive from him. And I gotta tell you, Every one of us sitting here, every one of us, our whole lives are to increase our capacity to receive. Three months from now, your ability to receive from God should be greater than it is tonight. God wants you to continue to increase. 
This, this is very, very important. So then we jumped over talking about limitations. I want to really focus on this. I touched on it, but I want to focus on this tonight and really talk about it so that we get it. Go to Psalm 78, verse 40. Psalm 78 and verse 40. Now, Psalm 78, this is talking about the children of Israel, that first generation of the children of Israel that God delivered out of Egyptian bondage. They were to go on an 11-day journey in the wilderness, and then they were to go in and possess their inheritance that God had already given them. It was already theirs. He promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were to go in and possess that but that whole generation outside of two people, only two people in the whole generation ended up going in. The rest of the generation died in the wilderness. Now, why do we look at this? Because guys, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt is a major type. The Old Testament is types and shadows. It's a type of, a, of, a, of us coming out of Egypt is like us coming out of spiritual death, being born again as a child of God. That's, that's, it's the type. Us, us going through the Red Sea is a type of water baptism. It's a type. If you want to do a study, crossing the Jordan River is a very strong type of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And here we have the biggest type. We have, see, the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River and going into the land of Canaan. Ten cities they conquered, 28 battles. All of that is a type of the church possessing their spiritual inheritance. Our inheritance is not a physical land. It's spiritual. It's health. It's healing, it's strength, it's provision, it's all of these things. It's literally living days of heaven on the earth. And we see the principles. So like as an example, one of the principles that you see in this type is nobody ever went into the promised land. There's not one example of anyone going into the promised land alone and possessing their inheritance. Not one. Everyone went in with their company. You know what the early church was called? A company. This is why God does everything through the, earth, through the local church. Everything will flow out of the local church, but the foundation of every, every Christian's life will be the local church. And those that say, no, I'm going to be alone, and they, there's no example there's no example that will sh where I could lay hold and go, okay, you could be alone and still go in and, and really obtain your inheritance, right? Here's another big principle. It's the same type. So in your life, how do you walk? How does he lead you into your inheritance? He doesn't, if you'll notice the children of Israel, God never sent them to more than one place at one time. He only had them working on one town. He said, you go to this city, the battle's already mine, the victory's yours, and then after the victory, you get strong, you strengthen yourself here, and then I will send you to another place. Right? What does God, what does God do with his children? Right now, tonight, every one of us, there's an area of your life that God wants you to work on. Now, if you were like me when you started this thing, you're going, <laughs> okay, wow. You know, I, don't, I can't even locate one area that I'm really doing good in other than maybe breathing. You know, I was young enough and I was doing a good job breathing because I was still alive maybe. But outside of that, and so what, have, have you ever had this? You, you decide. Well, it's January. Okay, New Year's resolution. Man, I'm going to really, okay, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Well, it's, it's the 13th. A lot of people have probably already messed up, right? 
In our church, we read the New Testament, one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, 52 weeks, 260 chapters, boom, you've read the whole New Testament. There's probably many people, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but there's probably many people that are like, oh, shoot, I'm eight chapters behind. Well, I'll just bust it out. You know, just, just relax. Give yourself a break. Have you ever noticed whenever you try to fix something, we're not even gonna talk about working out. Okay, we don't even wanna talk about changing your diet and working out, right? But all these things, I'm gonna pray more, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna really watch my mouth. And so what'll happen when you really make a decision or you're considering a decision, Satan will always come to you and go, well, yeah, but what about this area? And what about, oh, and also what about this area? Because he wants you to try to start working on multiple areas. But the book of Philippians says you only work out what God is working in. And you work out your own salvation, which means you don't let anybody else work out your salvation. Right? Well, I just believe God's leading me to stay home. Awesome. Pastor, what do you think about that? I think you should follow God. Well, do you think I should be home? I think you should follow God. Because I'm not going to tell you what to do. Does that make sense? Why is that? Because I love you, but I'm up to here with me. Right? And if I, start, if I start going, okay, what does everybody else need to do? Then guess what? Man, I'll be a pastor, but I'll be a lousy Christian. So, so could God be leading somebody in a way that you don't think? Yeah, probably. But whether he is or whether he's not, what does it matter? Right? It sounds a lot like all of a sudden Jesus is talking, talking to Peter. This, this is the way it is with a lot of Christians. Hey, you know, when you get older, there's going to be some people that are going to carry you where you don't want to go, signifying that Peter would die by crucifixion. And what does Peter do? Well, what did he do his whole, the whole three and a half years of Jesus? Well, what about John? What did Jesus say to Peter? He's like, hey, what if he is here till I come back? What is that to you? Right? I mean, signifying, see, we work out, and here's the thing, and this is, this is why we need to be thankful. Because you have to thank God for the victory already before you see it. Because if you have 20 areas of your life that are life and death, you think, to you right now. Trust me, God will be like, okay, and the one area that he'll have you work on might not even be the major area. But you just got to trust him, and then you work, you give that area to him, and you get really good, and then you kind of forget about some stuff, and then all of a sudden, he shows you another area, and then you go there, just like the children of Israel did. It's, it's a type and a shadow, but let's look at this I want to read Psalm 78, 40 and verse 41 about this generation. Talking about this first generation. Now, these are the people that saw all the plagues in Israel. These are the people that stood on the banks of the Red Sea with the most powerful army in the world coming to them to kill them and saw. Could you imagine how that looked? All of a sudden, boom, this water just starts going up the Red Sea, and they have dry land that they walk across. And they walk to the other side, and this Egyptian army comes flying down this dry road after them, and all of a sudden they see the Red Sea just go bam. And it destroys all of them. They saw that. They saw the pillar of fire by night to warm them. They saw the cloud by day that would follow. I mean, they saw signs, wonders, and miracles. You know, they complain, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's manna from heaven. You know, all this stuff. They saw all these miraculous things, but look at what it says about them. It says, how often did they provoke him in the wilderness? Talking about provoking God. This Hebrew verb, mara, or it's, it's pronounced Mara, which means to be rebellious. How often were they, they were just being rebellious because of their rebellion. 
they were provoking God in the wilderness. And it grieved him. This Hebrew verb, it literally means it caused God emotional hurt and pain. So how often did the children of Israel get rebellious? And we're going to learn later that this is what it was. Their rebellion, it was called rebellious disobedience in departing from the living God. And it was called unbelief. Unbelief. So this is a huge thing. It says here, and it grieved him in the desert, verse 41, yea, they turned back and tempted God. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. How do you limit the unlimited God? Wow. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? So they died in the wilderness. They never received what God had provided for them. Do you know how many Christians today, not as servants of the Lord, but as, as the children of God, are dying in their wilderness because of rebellious disobedience? I, and, and we're going to learn what that is. Saying that you cannot have what God already said he gave you. So now go to Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 7, and we're going to read about 12 verses here. Because I want you to get a big picture because the book of Hebrews is talking about these Jewish, the children of Israel, at how it relates to us. It says here in verse 7, Hebrews 3, 7, it's, it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. So it says, today, if you will hear his voice, basically don't harden your hearts. So this word harden, it's a Hebrew verb. It means to make hard, and to make stiff, and here's the big one, to render stubborn. I don't care that God says I'm supposed to forgive and walk in love. I'm not doing it. Because you just do not know what this person did to me. I don't care if the word of God says that I'm to honor him in my finances. I'm just not going to do that. Are you crazy? The first 10% of my income? Right? I, what, what do you mean meditate in my word day and night? Don't let it depart from my mouth. Oh, I, I'm just not going to do that. I've had, I've had people come to me and go, Pastor, I really need to meet with you. I need to set up some weekly counseling with you. Now, I don't like to read, so I'm never going to read the Bible. And I'm really busy, so I probably won't come to church much. So when can you meet me? Thankfully, I said two wonderful words. I can't. What? Well, you horrible pastor, why would you just not? No, no, there'd be nothing I could do for you. It would be a complete waste of my time, and it would be a complete waste of your time. Because what would happen is you'd come, you'd meet, we'd, we'd pray, we'd get in the word, you'd feel really good, and then you'd walk out the door, and within hours, you'd get punched in the face, and it'd be, it'd be worse than it was before. And then you would say, see, that God thing doesn't work. And so I would have preached the gospel and helped you lay hold of the God thing doesn't work. I'd rather just go, sorry. Now, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Right? But, but we're, do, you, do you see this? It's a rebellious disobedience. That, and, and why am I talking about this? Because this is the root of not being thankful. You need to get this out of your vocabulary. Get it out of your vocabulary. I deserve. I deserve. 
Look for things to be thankful for. You want a great marriage? Find, find something in your husband or in your wife that you could be thankful for and focus on that and forget about everything else, right? How often did they provoke me in the wilderness, it says in Psalms. Now, it says here, don't, if, today, if you'll hear my voice, don't harden your hearts as in the day of the provocation. So to be rendered stubborn. Now here's what it means. Here's what it means to do this word harden. To make hard, to make stiff, to render yourself stubborn. Here's what it is. You harden your heart when you hear his voice, but do not do what he said. In other words, never say no to the Holy Ghost, ever. Because does it, does it cause God to love you less? Nope. Does it cause God to just go, you know what, forget it, I'm not going to bless you? No, 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 no. No, it literally hurts him emotionally because he loves to give. Even the children of Israel, he just, every time they turned to him, he would just bless them. Every time, every time, every time. That's just who he is. But when you say, I'm not going to do what the word of God says do, that's when you harden your heart. This is why we have such an entertainment mentality in the church. Because I'm constantly in my life, I've got all these areas of my life that I know the word says this, but I'm not going to live this way. And we don't say no to God, like, no, I'm not going to do this. You do like what Tony Finley does when God says do something. You just kind of walk around going, la, 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 la. You get really busy and you just, oh, shoot, Lord, I forgot. Oh, you liar. Right? It's kind of like the policeman pulls you over and you're going 75 and a 55. And he's like, hey, it was a 55 mile an hour speed limit. And you look at the police officer and you go, seriously, you, you're serious about that? That will always produce a ticket in your life, right? <laughs> if you say it with an attitude, it might even produce room and board for you that night, right? But literally, we got to be careful with this because what's happening is when your heart gets hardened, now you're coming in the church going, okay, bless me. Everybody, be quiet. I don't want anybody, come on, stop messing around. Be quiet. I need an environment where I can really receive from God. Brother or sister, you're not in the right place to receive from God because you think you deserve something. But when you realize, man, I don't deserve anything, but I, he gave me everything, yeah. right? I asked Jim Witt how his day was, or how's your week going, I can't remember. And he's like, oh, they're all good. I mean, literally, if you could fog a mirror when you get up in the morning, that's a great, it's not over. It literally, for you as a Christian, means you've won. You might, be, uh, you might feel under, but you're really not, right? And here's the cool thing, if you wake up and you can't fog a mirror, then it gets really good. Because you're like, wow! I am not down there anymore. <laughs> Harden not your hearts in the day of provocation. This is the day of provoking, the day of irritation. In the day of temptation, this word temptation means the day where you are put to the test and proved in the wilderness. And now we're going to bring clarity to what it's talking about. Because when you first read it, you're thinking, the day of provocation, this is the day when the children of Israel were irritated and provoked and where they were put to the test and proven. But got to read, read the next verse. Who, who was proven? Who was, who was put to the test? When your fathers tempted me, do you imagine that? God saying, are you kidding me? Jesus, look at these people, man. They're tempting us. Are you crazy, right? When your fathers tempted me, 
when they proved me and saw my, my works 40 years. It's like, in other words, this is what's happening. They are literally at the Jordan River and, and these, these 12 spies come back. Two of them are going, listen, let's go over and take the land. They get shut down by 10 spies that give 10 reasons why we cannot possess what God says he's already given to us. It was called an evil report. And, and literally, God's saying, you are tempting me and proving me after for 40 years of your own stupidity, you still saw me? I mean, that pair of shoes, that, those, those Air Jordans that you're wearing, they're still brand new. You know, you've got them at Shields in Egypt, and they're, and they're still good 40 years later, right? And, and yet you're, you're saying, I didn't, you're saying I lied? This is what's going on here. Verse 10, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they, now, look at, now look at this, because this is the key. This is the key to people that are not thankful. They do always err in their heart. Now, this is an interesting phrase in the, in the Hebrew. It would it, it literally read like this in the Hebrew. It made no sense to the translator, but the Hebrew, we know these Hebrew words now. And he just, his thought process, he knew what the language said, but it would read in literal English, in literal English, they do always err in their unpersuadableness. They're always unpersuadable. They always err because they are just never able to be persuaded by what I say. And they have not known my ways. Man, there are so many people that can quote so many scriptures, but they don't walk in anything because they're unpersuadable in certain areas of their life. Just because you might not see a way for victory does not mean that the scripture changes, thanks be unto God, who almost always gives me the victory. No, no, it doesn't change that, right? So let's keep going. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. This word unbelief means rebellious disobedience. It means an unpersuadableness. It's telling us as Christians, the book of Hebrews were, was written to believers. It's saying, so based on all that, guys, take heed. Pay attention, right? Lest there be in any of you rebellious disobedience, unpersuadableness. Lest there be in any of you where you're saying, I can't have what God says he's already given me. That's literally how simple it is. Yeah, but you don't understand the diagnosis that my doctor gave me. And I'm not minimizing that. That's huge. But compared, it's huge compared to you. It's nothing compared to, I sent my word and healed you. G me, myself, Jesus, bore that sickness and carried the pain. By my stripes, you were healed. So don't be unpersuadable. Don't sit here. And see, this is why we've got to preach the word from these pulpits. We can't preach nonsense. Because it makes it harder on people when somebody who's called a pastor stands up and says, well, you know, sometimes God just allows things and, and you just never know. But they say it so eloquently because there's gifts there. But the problem is they're not quoting any scripture around it. You got to run from things like that, right? So we got to stay persuadable. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Look at what happens when you're in this position of saying that I can't have what God says he's given me. You're departing from the living God. 
Do you know how many believers are saying that, you know, I mean, I know Jesus, I know he died for my sins, but you don't know what I've done. And they can't forgive themselves. That's unpersuadableness. That's actually unthankfulness. Now, what, what it's coming out of is a deception. I remember there was a young lady that came to our church. Oh, man, what a neat young lady. She got saved, and her dad was like this biker guy, this big Indian guy, tattoos everywhere, big, strong guy, and he contracted cancer, and he would tell everybody he's an atheist. And, and this young girl loved her dad. She lived with him. They had a great relationship, and she's watching her dad go downhill to the point we were at Kiewit Middle School when she attended our church. And uh, he's in hospice. He's at the point of death. And, you know, um, all of a sudden, I, I, she wanted me to come see him. And I'm like, okay, so let's just, let's get the timing right because he would be unconscious most of the time, right? And I think, were we at Nebraska Furniture Mart maybe or something? And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, we've got to go see her dad. And, uh, and so I called, I called her up and I said, hey, we're about 10 minutes away. Can we come see your dad? And she's like, oh, my gosh. He just, just woke up. He's fully alert. And, you know, a lot of his buddies are in there with him right now. And I'm like, great. I go, could I come over? And, and they're like, yeah. She's like, yeah, come over. I said, now, now listen, what I need, I need about 10 minutes with him alone. No, all of his friends got to be out. Everybody's got to be out. I just need 10 minutes with him. And she's like, no problem, I'll make that happen. So, you know, I, I mean, here I am, the little Bible-toting preacher, right? You know, here I come. And I walk in this room with all these biker guys and all this stuff, and, and they're kind of looking at me, and they're not really happy with me. Because their friend that they love very much, they were very close to him. You know, he's, he's alert, and now this guy's going to waste his time being alert with you, Mr. Preacher, and we're not going to get to talk to him. So I just smiled at him, you know, really thankful that the angel of the Lord's with me, right? <laughs> and uh, and Jade, Jade had to kind of escort them out to make sure they would stay out there. And so I sat down by this man's bed, and, and this was his deal. You know, I said, now, I go, I go, sir, I've never met you. I can't remember his name right now, or I'd say it. And I said, but, but I'm here. I, I go, you're at the end of your life. And I go, you've missed God's plan for you in this life. You're, you're, you, you know you're about ready to die, don't you? And he, and he shook his head, yeah. And I said, well, I go, I'm here with some really good news that God has a future for you He's got a future for you in heaven. And this is just the way the Lord led me. He didn't lead me to talk to him about healing or anything like that because the Lord knew right where he was. And I said, I said you know, I don't know what, what you believe about God. I've heard that you say you're an atheist, but I also know you're close to death. I go, you know that, don't you? And he goes, yeah. And I said, sometimes those things change. And I said, would, would you mind if I just told you about what Jesus did for you? And he looked at me, and he, he kind of got tears in his eyes, and he goes, yeah. And I gave him a little simple gospel message, and I said, so, biggest decision of your life, what do you think about that? Do you want to give your heart to Christ? And he goes, I do. And I said, do you realize that he died for all your sins? And he goes, he goes, yeah. And you could see it's just his countenance changed. And I said, hey, said, listen, I go, your daughter loves you. I go, could we call her in and we'll all pray together? He goes, oh, that'd be great. And so we led him to Christ. He died the next morning. And so I did the funeral at a VA or a VFW place uh, in, in Omaha somewhere. I don't remember where it was. And, and so after the funeral, you know, they're kind of at the reception there at, at, the, at the area. And, uh, and this guy walks up to me, man. He's got tattoos all over him. And you could tell, just biker, pretty hardcore guy. But yet his face is beaming. 
And he's walking up to me, and I'm like, I go, wow, I go, you're a believer, aren't you? And he goes, absolutely. He goes, man, I've been born again this long. He goes, he goes you know, I was his best friend. And he goes, I just wanted to come and thank you. He said, you know, he would tell everybody that he was an atheist. But he said, I would share the gospel with him over all the years after I got saved. And he would look at me with tears in his eyes and go, he goes, that, it all sounds so good, but he goes, God could never forgive me for what I did. All the stuff I did, he could never forgive me. So see, he wasn't really an atheist. And I remember thinking about that. I'll meet that guy one day. I can't wait to see him in heaven, right? I don't know if his glorified body will have all the tattoos, but I'll know his face, <laughs> right? But I'm telling you, it, it's just, you just, it, this is what it's all about. There's a lot of people that we think, well, I'm just, I'm rebellious, I'm disobedient. I just, I refuse to do this. When with a lot of people, it's, listen, I, I'm not worth anything. I just don't believe that God would really forgive me. And that's rebellious disobedience. And that's why we love people unconditionally. And that fragrance, gosh, I just, I pray this every day of my life, that the fragrance of Zoe life and of the love of God will get so strong on me and coming out of me that it dispels that fragrance that people have that they live in. You know, hopelessness has a horrible stench to it. Suicide. All of these things. But the love of God has a wonderful fragrance. So let's keep going with this. It says here, verse 13. Well, let me read verse 12 again. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Notice, this word exalt means to encourage. What are you and I to do with each other daily? Exhort, encourage. I want to encourage you. Get people, when you meet somebody in the church, get their cell phone number. Text them. Ask the Lord to stir you. Get quiet and start encouraging people. Take them out to coffee. Get together. Read the Bible with them. Go, go out and do stuff with them. I mean, this is important right here. Right in the middle of where it says, don't let your heart be hardened, it's saying we need each other. Right? It says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Don't think sin is just what you think is bad. Sin is missing the mark. That is anything out of faith. That's anything out of love. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Verse 15. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? God was grieved to them that believe not. He swore in his wrath, they'll never enter in, into my rest. But does that mean that God was going to keep them out? No, their unbelief kept them out. That's, there's so many believers. I'm here to tell you tonight, every promise in this book is not only, not, not only true, but is literally given to you. You possess it. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Why am I talking so much about unbelief? Because unbelief and unthankfulness, is ex they're twins. 
Now look at, look at two ver- or three verses in, ver- in chapter 4 of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, verse 9. It says, there remains therefore a rest to the people of God. So now we're bringing it in. Every one of us, you're the, per- you're the people of God if you've received Christ. There's rest for you. But it says, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works. I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm not trying to overcome this stuff in my own strength. I'm not trying to lay hold of my healing or my financial blessing or whatever it is in my own strength. I've ceased from my own works. As God did from his. When did God cease from his, whole, his own works? On the seventh day of creation. Why did he cease? Why did he rest? Not because he was tired, but because it was finished. Why do we rest? Because it's finished. Oh my gosh, that's worth you coming tonight. Do you realize it's finished? You already have the victory. Your future's already secure. It is laid out. The only person that could keep you from, keep you out of it is you. But how many of you want to stay out of the glorious future that God has for you? Notice nobody's raising their hands. So rejoice. You're in. You've got it. It's done. It's finished. It's finished. He's finished, right? And now this is a matter of you standing at the beginning of a battle, rejoicing and being thankful because he's already said the victory has already been given to you. The triumph is already yours. And now all you got to do is believe that. And when you believe it, oh, thank you. Do you see how simple this is? It says, for he that is entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, the same example of unpersuadableness, of of literally a rebellious disobedience. So I just want to close with a few statements here. Thanksgiving, it puts things in motion that connect you to your victory and to your triumph. Thanking God what is to come is a spiritual force that connects us to the victory and the triumph that the Lord has already provided for us. This is why in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, God tells us in everything, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. But in order to, in everything to give thanks, this is what you're going to have to do. You have to stir up thanksgiving. Because it's not a lot of fun when you're laying in a bed and you're weak, and you're hurting, and there's sickness in your body, and and that's where you're like, hey, come here, pastor, come here, can you just hold up my hands? And you might need a couple brothers or sisters to just hold up your hands, and just, Father, I thank you that I'm healed, right? In everything, you're in the middle of a financial, it just seems like everything's going wrong and there's no way out and you're right in the middle of it and you're full of joy and you're full of thanksgiving. Why? Because you stir that up. Why? Because you believe that this is true. Let God be true, but let every man be a liar. That is what stirs up thanksgiving. You come to the house of the Lord. You come preparing to worship God, right? oh man, I'm going to get to be with a lot of my brothers and sisters, right? Don't you get excited? Man, you come into the house of God and and you have an opportunity to worship God and, and to just thank him for everything that he's done. Hallelujah. God never lies. Therefore, we thank God before we ever see the answer in our lives. Waiting to see is unbelief. See, there's power in saying thank you before. Hallelujah. Faith always says thank you before. 
right? That's why I love the word amen. At the, end of, at, at the end of every prayer, amen, it means so be it unto me. Hallelujah. This is huge. Hallelujah. Well, I want to read a couple scriptures to you. We'll have to wait. I'm still not got to the, par- or the about the 10 lepers, man. They're just going to have to wait another week. Psalm 34.1 says this. Psalm 34.1 It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. See, why does the word of God say that? Because your God wants you to be connected to your victory and your triumph always. Psalm 95, verse 2. Let us come, therefore... Or I'm sorry, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. These are, these are spontaneous hymns of praise. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And bless his name. Guys, you and I, as children of God, we already possess everything. Your future is secure. Don't look at what's going on in the world and think that it's going to change your future. We're the body of Christ. We are the ones with authority in this earth. Right? So we, we stand How is it going to happen? I don't know. I don't care. How is not my job description? But being thankful is my job description, and so I'm just going to be thankful. Whatever battle you're in tonight, thank him for the victory. It's a shout of victory. Amen?